This is the Books Podcast presented by Tim Hake. This is the Books Podcast and we're welcoming today Toby Litt. Toby, welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The book we're going to talk about is Life Like. And um, <laughs> I, th- I think that must mean that it's your 12th book. I only just noticed that you're giving each of your books an alphabetical um, initial letter so that we started off with Adventures in Capitalism and then there was Beatniks and Corpsing and Dead Kids songs and so on, all the way through to Lifelike. So this is the 12th book. It is number 12. Some people got that on C and were very smug that they'd realised, but it, it's, uh, yes, it's been going on for some time that the main books that I do are alphabetical and it's a way for me to organise my head and my future. There's more to it to that. We're going to come back to this this aspect of Toby Lit because okay. th- there's quite there's an interesting um, sense going on with you of of formalism and and game playing and and structure, which I want to talk about eventually. But first, I want to talk about lifelike, so that anything we do say in context um, it makes sense for this book, and it gets us straight into that question because uh, the kind of book it is it's either a kind of a novel or a kind of a set of stories um and (laughs) i'm still not sure in fact i'm going to ask you which is it toby i wish i had a word you know the uh, the a lot of people have written uh intimately collected books of short stories either they're linear or they're thematic or whatever but but um there is a form there that we're we're developing collectively and it's not shovel as in in between short story and novel and uh, it, it it's something that addresses the fact that the world is a very diverse place and that different bits of it don't necessarily uh fit with one another in in a way that a conventional novel could could bring them in they 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 go off and and they exist in in different ways and and I think that's what it answers to is is not having to write a 19th century novel where basically everyone is covered with the same glaze I had got that by the end that this is a book of of, of connections flying apart a sort of a, a, refer- a globalistic thing yeah. as opposed to that kind of Benozic uh, novel which is which is carefully structured and comes round to a, um, a a point that is sort of dictated by the beginning there is an element of that uh, yeah. we start off with um, with Agatha and and um Paddy Paddy uh, whose uh, little boy Max breaks his arm, and we end up with Agatha and Paddy and uh, engaged with their little boy. So there's there's that sort of satisfaction of a of a coming round to where we started. But it's not a, a Schnitzlerian thing. Is it's not it's not La Ronde. We're not going round in a in a formal no. circle. No, the 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 form which I've I've tried really hard to find a simple way of explaining is like a tennis tournament in reverse. In other words, that the final was the book Ghost Story, where Paddy and Agatha appeared, and then we're travelling backwards in time. So we're going to the sort of next stories of the the semi-finals. So it's someone versus Paddy and uh, Agatha versus someone else, and then and we go you, further you've back. And you've made each each uh, chapter is somebody and somebody. Yes, uh, Paddy and Agatha, or um, you know Max and uh, Max and Dylan is one of them. Yes, yeah. So that uh, each each of the stories or chapters or or uh, passages. Has I ended up calling them episodes, episodes. in, de- in desperation. Oh, I like <laughs> yes, actually, I think that works. I like episode, so that each one of them has uh, two 
or sometimes <laughs> there's it's it's John and John in one of them, yes, and it's it's um, uh, Henry and anybody who listens, yes, <laughs> in one of the chapters. Yeah. It's very funny this book, and one of the things I liked is that you're totally deadpan. You you as the writer, you never acknowledge that this is funny. Well, it may be that as the writer, I never know. I, I I think I could probably count on on one hand the number of times, not ever in the last ten years, that I've sat at my desk and laughed at something that I wrote and thought that's funny. Usually because it's something that's so ridiculous I can't include it anyway. Um, but most of the time I am deadpan to myself and that what's what's funny maybe that the characters are pursuing things with with a seriousness but that they are unaware of uh, what they're actually doing i think there are some um points in this where i realized say the character john john and john um in that story he's he's meditating so it's only him it's him in his own brain it's him him um trying to be mindful before that became fashionable and he uh, is a narcissist and I wanted to write a farce that took place in the brain um, where there are things, uh, lines in the story, um, uh, images that come in, into his head which are similar to characters going in and out of wardrobes and hiding under the bed and, and jumping out in, in a farce. So in a way, I knew, you know, farces are meant to be funny. Um, but I've, I've read that a couple of times, and and people don't laugh. Uh, I've read it to audiences, and, and people don't necessarily laugh at the same points. It's not it's not a kind of boom, boom. No, it people is, people the, will the whole, sort of one or two catch lines. up with something, you know, a few lines later, and suddenly think, oh my god, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, but it's it's. It, I'm hearing back from you how you read the book. I, I, I my image of it is is uh, probably different to yours. Well, that ought to be the case, yeah. in, especially for a writer like you. You were taught, of course, by Malcolm Bradbury, and I, I've read somewhere that you you uh, you you're quite concerned with the sort of the progress of of, uh, of literature and of, of you know batons being handed on. From one to another. Yeah, you said somewhere that Ian McEwan, who's another of Malcolm Bradbury's yeah. alumni, um, got the 70s exactly right. Do you see um, literature in those terms? I think that there are there are lots of lineages. There are lots of ones which which are um, uh, that you know there could be one for horror writing, say, or or, or, or for um, uh, writing. Uh, funny short stories or something and pe and people do do pass that on and you could see a lineage be between I don't know PG Woodhouse and, and and Douglas Adams with with intervening writers I I picked that out I think because there was such a, to me there's such a clear lineage between Angus Wilson Malcolm Bradbury and then Ian McEwan going from uh, Angus Wilson's kind of dark stories um early on that he wrote through um things like the history man to Ian McEwan's first stories and the, the way they look on the page, the density of the prose, the rhythm of the prose, they have a, a real kind of solidity and sort of social grip. But also Angus Wilson famously getting getting the 50s, you know, and, and being, being the one to encapsulate it. Um, 
Malcolm Bradbury, um, the seventies, the, the I, I think, the history man, does a huge amount in in, in nailing sociology, left wing thought, and 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 you know he's playing with it, the hypocrisy of some of it, but also the the, the passion of it, and and then Ian McEwan with this kind of grey late seventies, early eighties, and um, I'm not I'm not putting myself on the on the end of that, but I I do. Uh, or maybe I am, but I'm, trying, I, I'm I, whether I succeed or not, I do think that one of my things is to try and get my times right. That, that, that's one of the things I want to try and do. Um, and they're different times. Um, there's also maybe, with all of those writers, a, a comic uh, angle on things. Oh, all of them, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, but say Angus Wilson is, is is really un, unread now, and I think his novels feel in some ways unreadable almost. They're the, these huge kind of brick walls of prose. That 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 uh, how do you how do you get into them? They're so socially dense. They want to be uh, middle march. Or, but, I, I have to admit, I find them a little daunting. Yeah, yeah a little but, um, yeah. intimidating. Yeah, um, and I think that that, that may be. You may be daunted, I'm daunted, but that may be our fault. <laughs> you know, uh, we we may just not be be up to it. I think there are other other writers, Saul Bellow or something, who who I who I love, who who have a similar um, kind of uh, density to them. Yeah, you Bello, fight your Bello way through them. Such a, a lightness of touch, though. Yeah. And his prose is so sublime that uh, I, I think Bellow is like eating e eating pudding. <laughs> it, it, it's it's not it's not the stodgy uh, no. main course that you feel you ought to get through. No, maybe maybe Angus Wilson is, is Yorkshire pudding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> almost certainly. Can we go back to Toby Litt then, and okay. where uh, where where you do sit in here? And I'm going to make another confession. I, I've always been impatient of those. Uh, Terribly experimental uh, novels of the sixties, when people, you know, putting the pages in at random, yeah. or uh, or they were they were doing things with typescript and typography to to play with it, as though that was the whole point of writing. Right. Now, you have all these different um, devices. I wanted. I want you to tell me really. Yeah. What I, I want you to tell me that you that they arise out of the needs of the narrative. That you don't think, oh, this would be a neat thing. I'll have a bit of a film script in here. That that would be cool. No, no, they 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 don't work like that. Um, but I I have a feeling about the the writers you're saying, the experimental writers of the of the sixties. Maybe the the British ones didn't do it quite so well. B.S. Johnson didn't do it quite so well as as some of the Americans. Donald Bartlemy, you know, who I love. Um, and and I feel the same way as almost I do about say the Beats or the Pre-Raphaelites, which is that they had noble enterprises, that they were doing something really worthwhile, and the the level of their achievement isn't necessarily to, to be judged uh, as as lacking just because they didn't write the greatest books ever out of that idea, because in some ways I feel they could have done. I know. I, I really feel that um, I think On the Road is a great book, particularly the TypeScript version. And what Kerak was after was something that was made just writing because you want to write about some kind of polite people uh, having having a bad time. He 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 wants to to really write out of his skin and make make you feel alive and all those kind of things. And um, I think that the the attempt to write. As, as sort of intensely as you can, whatever it happens to be, 
alters the form in which you write. And and um, with with some of the ways the stories went, what I noticed was that they were almost collapsing as stories and turning into to interviews or questionnaires. This this happened in, in um, uh, I play the drums in a band called OK, where some of the stories were questionnaires to the members of the band. Um, and there, there was a feeling that as this book moves apart, as there are more characters, as the world gets wider, they, their forms get more diverse. But then I, I think that all the forms, the, the playing with form works if the writing is good enough. I always thought that of Kerouac and Burroughs and, and all of those beats. Yeah. The ones who were good would have been good whatever they decided to do. The, the, the form wasn't what made them. It's a bit like, yeah. you know, method acting. A really good actor, if he decides to do it that way, will put in the performance. Yeah. So in life, like we have, well, there's one chapter which is just a set of medical notes. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a chapter which is um. Uh, just well, it's drawings. actually a bill. It's <laughs> Not a, a bill. it's <laughs> it has large amounts of money. Um, <laughs> it's it's showing a very very expensive cancer treatment in America. Uh, yeah, I mean the 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 money is is kind of the form there. So the the. To narrate an operation and recovery is 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 just routine, but to to kind of put the reader just briefly into the costing and to have them figure out through a, through a list what's happened that that it felt it didn't need to be a story because almost the the main character Cavita in that story is 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 not present for it. You know, she's unconscious for some of it when she's being operated on. So in a way, she kind of dips out and then comes back afterwards. But, but 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 what I'm trying to say is that the 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 forms come out of emotional necessity, yes. But maybe I'm able to make it uh, not so serious in in the way you're saying because I'm not as experimental. Because these experimental writers went before. I'm trying to do things I think haven't been done, but I'm I'm doing it forty years or whatever after B. S. Johnson. No, he had a tougher time. Okay, dear, dear chap. Yeah, but in, in in the end, a book has to be readable, which this was. You you, you think you, you 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 say you can't see that it's necessarily a comedy. There's a there's a chapter of tweets, and it's a Twitter account where where one of the characters just tells her story beautifully, and you know she's she's without consciousness of what she's saying yeah. in a series of tweets well, it worked extremely well because if, if if you did narrate it as a sort of omniscient narrator you would already know how foolish she was being about things with yes with that one what i what i felt very strongly about twitter particularly i think it's become more of a form as you know time has has gone on is that sometimes it allows people to be fantastically articulate about something even at the same time they're being fantastically inarticulate and so i wanted her not to know that she was one of the world's great aphorists <laughs> that she was just kind of blurting observations that sort of backwards in in off sideways ways hit hit at at truth but and and she she doesn't know she's very very open with everything and 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 uh so there's there's no mediation. The one thing I'm not sure about that story, but I, I think it would have pushed your your buttons to, to, to make it negative, is that if you read a Twitter feed, it would go in reverse. That's true. Um, and so I made it chronological, in other words, to, to as if you had gone to her earliest post and then 
were reading up but but in the book it's the other way around just just i probably think that that uh that would have made it unbearable it would have been a bit 60s for my taste <laughs> if you'd done that okay can we talk uh, a little bit as well about the um there seems to be, and you'll forgive me for this, a slightly middle-aged uh, uh, feeling yeah, to the book as well. Yeah. All this, all this adultery, all this agonising about sex, and John's obsession with penises. Oh, John is so obsessed with penises. He's very I, mean, I can imagine a man being obsessed with his own, but he's obsessed with other people's yeah. as well. Yes, <laughs> and it, it all seemed to me very middle-aged. Is that just because Toby Litt's uh, now a middle-aged man, or is it because you 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 had something you wanted to uh, explore and address? Both, both. I think one of the models that I have as a writer um, is John Updike. And he's not my favourite writer, but in terms of how he continued, maybe it's inevitable that that people tend to write about uh, where they are in in life. But I think to, to sort of seriously think about that stage and what it means and and to be honest about it, you know, how much of uh, midlife is spent thinking about penises, for example. Um, I think that's, uh, that's part, again, that's part of what I think I'm, I'm doing. So obviously, if you're writing about childhood, as I wrote, wrote in Dead Kid Songs and other, other, other bits, um, you do that later. Um, but I feel that there's a very interesting crossover between being middle-aged now, being in the middle of uh, the sort of developed world in between Europe and in, in America, but at the same time wanting to be um, not just young, but wanting to be current, wanting to be alive by the the you know the the measures that we have for aliveness which is to be sexual which is to be attractive which is to be well hung which is to be beautiful all those things and and those pressures to towards um being you know i i, I don't know what the word is fanciable but being being better viable How yeah viable yeah viable still viable <laughs> yeah I think that's that's um, that's one of the things, but there obviously there's a melancholy to that, and and uh, there, there are things underneath. But uh, um, and in some ways, I thought uh, again, let's let's go straight for the heart of this. It, it will be about middle class people thinking about having affairs or not having affairs, or uh, and I mean, one of the things that goes through it, John John has unprotected sex with Agatha. Uh, at a point where he may be HIV positive, um, and uh, it it was one of those things that again that that maybe novels um, would would pay off sort of harder. It would be more of a plotty thing that things loom over you that you don't know about that are in the background, and um, and at least the, with the form of this that I could have scenes play out where the reader knows that about uh, Agatha and uh, they know uh, that she may be HIV positive, possibly. Um, and um, she's getting on really well with Paddy. There's a chance they'll go to bed. Uh, mm. And, and, and the, the reader at that point, I hope, is uh, very aware of um, 
a lifelike sensation, which is that we we live in ignorance of lots of sharks beneath the surface, and 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 that we don't understand um, other people and and where what they've done, where they've been. We 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 um, we think well, not that we think we do, but we operate. I think most of the time, in a, in a way that uh, doesn't respect quite how in the dark we are. Toby Litt, thank you very much. The book is lifelike, and it's published by um, a publisher. Seagull I'm not Press. Seagull Press. Um, I don't have a copy, so I don't know what the price is. But you've got one there. The price is nineteen pounds fifty. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was the Books Podcast with Tim Haig. The Books Podcast is produced by Green Shoot. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.